And turn your Bibles, please, to Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42, where we're beginning a new series today on the book of Revelation. Uh, strength for day, hope for tomorrow. But as you've already figured out, we're not going to read anything from Revelation this morning, but rather talk about these verses that set the stage for that. Chapter 42 and uh, verse 1, and this is the word of God. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I will tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, His praise from the end of the earth. You go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. Let the desert and its cities lift up their voice, the villages that Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. Then join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, as we begin a new year, we thank you that your word does stand forever, that it is eternal, uh, Father that you have spoken to us. You've made known who you are. You've made known what you are. You've made known what you have done for us. And Father, how you would have us to respond to you as your people. So Father, today as we consider these uh, rather familiar verses, we pray for your Spirit's help to gain real understanding of what you've called us to be as a church. Father, of how you've called us to minister, Father, uh, in this world around us. Uh, so that Christ would be exalted. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was, uh, I might say, a rather enticing offer. Uh, and it was this, make 2022 all about you. Uh, and uh, now, uh, so who, who was the purveyor of such wonderful wisdom, you may wonder? Well, it was none other than Echo Shoes. Um, and they said this, they said, uh, no matter, tell me whether my resolution was to spend more time outdoors, play more golf, uh, change jobs, or simply relax as much as possible, Echo has the shoes to help me achieve my goals this year. And, uh, and quite frankly, not a single one of those is on my bucket list, I will tell you. Uh, but it's reassuring that there's a shoe company out there looking out for me uh, and uh, give me the right shoes I think they sell them to me, actually, uh, so that it's all about me. Now, the trouble, of course, is the Bible uh, would tell us uh, 
what that's not all about me. Um, and uh, that run, runs kind of everything the Bible teaches. And so today we start this new series. Yes, I say the book of Revelation. We're going to call Strength for Today, uh, Hope for Tomorrow. Uh, but all we want to talk about today really is, is the title of the book, as we understand. And the title is the book of the revelation uh, of Jesus Christ. And, and really, that's what we're hoping 2022 is all about. It's not about us, uh, but it's about Jesus. Uh, because he is where we find our strength for today and we find our hope for tomorrow. Uh, it's where it's rooted. So as here begins, I just want us to think through today, what is Chester Mount Presbyterian Church all about? Uh, it's always good to review these foundational verses that shape our identity as the body of Christ uh, and the mission God calls us to. It's also an opportunity to, to uh, draw attention to the new logo. Uh, you may have noticed when we came back upstairs from downstairs, new bulletins, new paper, new logo on the outside um, several weeks ago. That, that links up our vision of who we are as a church, that our focus is on the cross, and that it's a threefold focus, three words to remember, uh, that we want to exalt God, we want to equip God's people, and we're called to engage God's world. And so the logo is intended to express a mission that's now 147 years old. Uh, so it keeps in focus what we're to do and be as a church, uh, chest around the world, a people, yes, who are committed to the great commandment, loving the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to the great commission, uh, a people committed to, to carry that out, to equip one another for that. And the focus is to exalt Christ, uh, to exalt his cross, as we started out singing this morning, uh, to equip God's people to take up their cross and follow Jesus. To engage God's world by proclaiming the cross of Christ. God's not called us to be a country club uh, or, or, or to retreat to a tropical island, uh, as much as that might seem attractive tomorrow when the weather changes. Uh, but he's called us to be a church that's engaging both our community and our world. So we're to be all about Jesus and the cross. Uh, that's one of the things that, that draws me to the book of Revelation in our troubled times. But today, back to Isaiah 42, how does God work in and through us by the Holy Spirit to carry out the ongoing ministry of Jesus, uh, both locally and globally? And to really understand chapter 42, though, let me just remind you of chapter 40, gives that uh, declaration of what God's doing. Uh, then in chapter 41... God calls all the nations of the world before him in a court of law. The thing about that court is, in chapter 41, God's the judge. Uh, God is the, 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 the prosecuting attorney. And he's all, also the jury, sort of rigged in his favor uh, there. Uh, and, and the question that he gives the nations is this. Who can fix a world that's broken by sin? Who can bring about gospel justice in a world with so much injustice and suffering. So God calls on the nations to express their plans. When Isaiah writes, uh, there are a large number of empires that are in the process either of being established or, or uh, already are established. The Assyrians and the Babylonians are both established during this time. This is the beginning of the Greek classical period. 
they're getting started. Not long after Isaiah preaches, you have the startup of the city of Rome and what follows that. So God says, nations, give an answer. What's your solution to the problems facing mankind? I mean, how can you heal a broken, struggling, suffering, and above all, sinful humanity? What's your plan, Assyria? What's your plan, Babylon? Greece? Rome? Now today we'd say China, Russia, European Union, Republicans, Democrats. Uh, See, those were the great thinkers of that age. And yet, they have no answer to give God. Their silence, as chapter 41 ends, is absolutely deafening. So God says this in verse 28 of 41, When I look, there's no one. Among these, there's no counselor who, when I ask, gives an answer. And so God's answer then is chapter 42. God has the solution for a sin-filled world. Uh, God's solution is the focal point of our logo. So let's, let's go to the text and see. First, I want you to notice that God speaks about the servant of the Lord. Verse 1, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Uh, Now, what a contrast here. Throughout Isaiah, uh, God is talked about in all his glory. But here, God talks about the glory of, of his servant. Isaiah 42 is the first of four of what we call servant songs, and they're all referred to or or quoted in the New Testament uh, as referring to Christ. And several things stand out here. First is, behold, God says, look here, take note of my servant. And it, it reinforces that for the Christian faith, for us, it's all about Jesus. It's all about the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what do we see? He's called a servant. We have the concept of a God who actually serves his people. Now in Isaiah's day, that was absolutely unheard of. Uh, Gods are rulers over humanity, never servers of humanity. But as we know, Jesus will define his ministry when we get to the Gospels by serving. And implicit in that is that in our role in this world, if we imitate Jesus, we are to be servants both in this community and in the world. And we also learn about the relationship Jesus the servant has with the Father. Uh, Just the support the Father gives Jesus for his ministry. He upholds him. He strengthens him. We see the affection God the Father has for Jesus. Literally reads, in whom my soul delights. Now just pause about, think about it for a moment. God the Father's very being, God the Father's soul, delights in the earthly ministry of Jesus. That means that that he, he delights... Uh, in, in that Jesus brings the Father joy by serving people 
who have rebelled against him. Friends, that's amazing that that's how it works. Uh, and, And that should go to the core of who we are as a church. If we're called to minister like Jesus, uh, I wonder, does God delight in the determination we show to be servants in a rebellious world? You ask yourselves, you know, is, is God delighted in my servant mindset? Or am I caught up in the world's serve me mindset? This is why it's so important to study Jesus in the Gospels. That's what we're doing on Sunday nights with Luke. We want to watch how Jesus serves. And it's critical for us to imitate him and how we live. And God's delighted. God's delighted when we imitate Jesus and we serve. Isaiah also shows us how God the Father empowers the Son as he promises to send the Holy Spirit. So we find right in the Old Testament, over and over again, a confirmation of the Trinity. Uh, and a couple things to note here. One is, is, is starting to think that Jesus needs the power of the Holy Spirit for the ministry that he's to carry out. Uh, that's interesting because he's God. He's all-powerful. Yet Jesus needs the Holy Spirit. For the ministry God calls him to. And if Jesus does, how much more us? So our call to serve God is not about our giftedness. It's not about our status as children of God. It's about our dependence upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And we'll see why that's important in a few moments. And then we have the task. The task is to bring gospel justice to our community, to the nations, as we engage God's world. I use that word gospel justice because it's all-encompassing. It's not just about social justice that we talk a lot about today, though it is that, but it is the justice that is our standing before God as well. And what God's Word tells us is how we treat the outcast, the poor, the fatherless, and the alien uh, matters. And this concept of, of, of gospel justice is throughout the Old Testament. And if we're going to be concerned about all the Bible, uh, we've got to be concerned about this justice. That's why we're concerned about street children in Manila or those in the streets around us. We're concerned about the sex trafficking of young children and women. It's what brought about daughters of Bulgaria. It's what led to the ministry out of darkness in Atlanta to reach out to women who are caught up in injustice and in sin. It's the very people we watch Jesus reach out to throughout the New Testament. And then when we get involved in the lives of those who struggle to make it in this sin-filled world, the more we realize all the obstacles are to, to help those in need. The more patience it requires on our part, the more love it requires. So what does this ministry of Jesus look like? Look at verse 2. He will not cry out aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Now here we have the surprising methodology of Jesus. Now we are used to what I would call loud leaders, right? Uh, But it literally says here that Jesus literally says he will not scream. That's the word. And the Hebrew word for scream is tzach. Uh, You hear the, the harshness there. 
Uh, and so Jesus establishes a different way to lead, to carry out ministry. And I've got to admit, it seems a, a very unlikely way to change the world. My instincts tell me if I'm going to change your mind, I've got to be very loud to do it, right? And if you don't get it, I get louder to change your mind, right? That's the way it works. Um, but Jesus shows us that being bold, being aggressive, does not require being obnoxious. Uh, yes, Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple. I'm well aware of that. But the larger part of his ministry is far quieter. The approach described here certainly reflects that of a servant mindset. Now, Mother Teresa didn't have an impact on this world because she was loud and bombastic. Uh, she had an impact because she had a servant's quietness to her. Alan Redpath says that we need to, to think for a moment about the modesty of God. He's always at work. He guides the sun, the stars, the universe. He controls every galaxy. He refreshes the earth constantly, but he works in such a quiet way that many people now try to say that there's no God at all. Now, why is that important for us to learn? We need to look at the condition of sinful, broken people. Look at verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Okay, Isaiah writes about two different plants here. Uh, the reed and the flax, both very common in the, in the Middle East. The reed referred to here is a, is, a, is a plant that can grow to a height of 12 feet. Uh, when freshly cut, uh, that reed is flexible, it's strong. When dried, it's, it's stiff and strong. They used, used them for make a variety of things. They made walking sticks out of them. They made musical instruments like flutes and those sorts of things out of them. They made baskets out of them um, and so on. And they grow with a, a large blossom on top that will cause the, the reed to, to blow back and forth in the wind. And sometimes the blossom grows so big and is so heavy that the, the reed falls over uh, and uh, under the weight of the flower. Then you have flax. It's been grown and harvested since early times. Uh, they gathered it, they dried it, they turned it into thread and then into cloth. You may remember that, that Rahab uh, is drying out flax on the roof of her house there in Jericho. Um, and so these flax threads were put together to use as wicks for a lamp. A piece of thread would be uh, placed in the oil and uh, the thread would uh, thoroughly soak up the oil and then it would be lit, and it would serve as the wick, drawing oil up from the lamp, and it would produce light. Now here, the reed's described as bruised. And that's better translated broken or crushed. And if it's broken or crushed, it cannot be used anymore. The flax is described as smoky. Uh, and uh, it's a picture of a wick that's, that's uh, dried out. There's no oil and the flame is nearly extinguished, and there's little or no light, and so there's no usefulness. And so you have the bruised reed. It's symbolized by someone who's, who's weakened by exterior pressures, that they cannot bear any more burdens. 
A dimly burning wick is symbolic of someone whose inner resources are at an end. They lack the strength necessary to continue. The gospel justice that Jesus brings about embraces bruised reeds and dimly burning wicks, the oppressed, the weak, the damaged, the discarded. These are the people, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. These are the sinners that Jesus came to reach. And verse 3 tells us that he will faithfully bring forth justice. I mean, no matter how difficult the task, and since it requires the cross, it is a difficult ministry. Jesus will not back away from it. Friends, when ministry gets hard, and it always does, we don't quit. Instead, we dig in and we serve. In fact, look at verse 4. He will not grow faint or be discouraged to his established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Jesus, the servant, will not falter uh, or be discouraged and not faint to his established justice, just as has the, the gift of salvation brings about. The word faint, of course, same word as just above, faintly burning. Uh, and the word discouraged is the same word for bruised, by the way, that's right above that. People like reeds and wicks may become faint and discouraged, but Jesus will not. When Jesus serves at the cross and fulfills his mission, justice will be established over the entire earth. The result will be that the coastlands, that is the Gentile nations, that's us, will hunger for his law will hunger for the instruction that's in the Bible. People will want the gospel. People will want God's word, God's truth, to be equipped to know how to live in God's world. And that's what he promises us here. So having told us about the servant, God now speaks to the servant. Verse 5, Thus says God, The Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. So God lays out his credentials here. He's the creator of the universe uh, and of human life. Therefore, if he's the creator, he gets to be the Lord. He's the Lord of the universe. He's the Lord of life. Uh, One writer says it's it's like God's painted a a cosmic stage for Jesus to carry out his redemption on. So we find out several things about Jesus' call here. First, God calls him in righteousness. That is God's righteousness. That's how he will carry out his ministry. In other words, he'll carry it out in in a way that's consistent with the character of God, who in his being is right with who he is, with his love, with his justice, his grace, his compassion, so that he acts on behalf of people who are rebels. The Father tells us to be supporting Jesus. He reaffirms to Jesus what he's just told us about Jesus a few verses ago. Just reaffirms the intimacy shared between the Father and the Son. 
And then he makes Jesus himself to be the covenant. Not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. Isaiah's original audience would have thought of the covenant with with Adam, Abraham, Moses, David. They had been expecting uh, one who would come, Eve's offspring, the prophet Moses spoke about, the true son of David. And what we discover is Jesus himself is the covenant. God's work in history is embodied in a person, this one Jesus, whose ministry will extend beyond Israel to the Gentile world. God tells Jesus who his ministry targets are. And again, they're people the world does not care much about or value. But if we're going to be a Bible-based church, they've got to be uh, who we focus on. It's got to be true of us as well. And then verse 8, I'm the Lord, that's my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass And new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you them. So Isaiah turns to look at the transcendent God who's full of glory and uh, who steadfastly says he'll not share that glory with anyone else, certainly not with an idol. Um, Jesus will show the world what God is really like. Uh, So Isaiah is unveiling that God's got a new program. His old program was the Exodus. Uh, That's done away with. It pointed to the cross. Now God's doing something new with Jesus Christ for the sake of his people. And yes, with the cross, that's not the way the nations would have done it. It's not the way you and I would have done it. But it's the way God does it. And because of that, that's what brings glory to God and God alone. So through the ministry of Jesus, God's going to do new things that's going that going to change the world. He's going to show us what real ministry looks like through Jesus' coming, his life, his ministry, and especially the cross. So how should we respond to this? Well, notice that in verse 10, we're called to celebrate the servant. God's exhortation is to celebrate the servant. Pick it up there, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. You go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. Let the desert and its cities lift up their voice, the villages that Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The God who judges the nations in chapter 41 invites them to come and worship him in chapter 42. He's worthy of receiving glory and honor and praise from the ends of the earth. Because of his servant who comes, Jesus, who is revealed to us in the New Testament. And notice again these, new, these coastlands who were clamoring for God's word back in verse 4. Now they've received it. They've believed it. They've embraced it. They're worshiping. And so we can have the hope that the Great Commission will be fulfilled uh, when we see this call to celebration, this call to worship. This call to evangelism missions to reach the world. Kedar, that's Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is called to worship here. They've become believers in Christ. You know, our responsibility is to shout from the top of this mountain. And if our voices reach around the world, who are the first people going to hear it if we shout from here? 
you study sound waves, it's the people that live right around us, all right? Stars right at Chestnut Mountain to make the revelation of Jesus Christ known to the world. And see, our goal is to proclaim the cross so that Jesus Christ is exalted. That we as a people be equipped to exalt him and to engage our world with the good news of the gospel. So what about us? Let me just say, if you're here today and you realize you're not part of what I'm talking about, uh, because you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, we invite you to become part of God's family today. Uh, We'd love to share with you today, you can know for certain Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord. And our our church logo is new, but it represents what CNBC has been about for the last 147 years. Exalting God by making much of Jesus and his cross, equipping God's people to love and serve him as we engage his world with the good news of the gospel. So why do we need to keep talking about exalting and equipping and engaging in front of us? We remind you of an old story that I've told before, but I think it gets the, the, the point across for us here in 2022. 1886, a group of men who loved to hunt decided they would build themselves a new, a new hunting lodge. So they bought some land, built the hunt club. After a while, they decided they were taking such long hunting trips and they had, uh, it would be a good time to, to build a, a lodge so that they could bring their families. Uh, and so they went in together and they built, built a lodge for that. Then they decided, you know, we'd like to come and spend three months a year here. So they, would build, they built these cottages, uh, spend their winters uh, at the hunt club. But soon hunting became a, well, uh, not as much fun for them. Um, and they, they began to slip in importance. And so they, they started enjoying just getting together. And the focus of the day began staying in their cottages and fixing up and looking nice so they could all come together and eat dinner down at the, at the lodge. Uh, and, and as time went on, um, the hunt club became a, a retreat uh, envied by many. Of course, these weren't ordinary families in the economic sense of the word. Uh, Their names were Astor, Morgan, Pulitzer, Rockefeller, Vanderbilt, Goodyear, Gould, Macy, name a few. Uh, People on my Rolodex. Uh, You can ask me what a Rolodex is. Anyway, uh, it was estimated at that time they controlled one-seventh of the nation's wealth. Uh, And, of course, you guessed by now, it it was the Jekyll Island Hunt Club. And they supplemented the, the local island hunting. They brought in pheasants from England, and they brought in uh, wild boars from Italy. Uh, in 1899, when William McKinley, the president, was trying to secure renomination, he had to go down to Jekyll Island to meet with those families to make sure it would take place. Um, and then when the families gathered on the island during World War II in the winters, they were beginning to think, what if the Germans attacked that island and got those families, and so they, they made them evacuate the island. Of course, World War II's end brought a rapidly changing world. In fact, having lost original focus for a hunting club, they abandoned their, their 20-room cottages, their rather impressive lodge, all those amenities, and they sold the island to the state of Georgia. They'd lost their intended purpose, of hunting. They were into the social scene. They were into political power. And the Jekyll Island Hunt Club lost its reason to exist. 
And I don't want that to happen to us. Uh, I don't want 2022 to be all about us. You see, we're not called to politics. We're not called to the social scene. We are called to the ongoing ministry of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And we're to follow Jesus' pattern for ministry. Servants who reach out by the power of the Holy Spirit to the sinful, broken rebels of a sinful, broken, rebellious world. And we will bring glory to God as Jesus carries out his ministry through us by the Spirit's power. So our prayer is that that our logo and our ministry reflect that. That this is CMPC. A church that's making much about Jesus and his cross by exalting God, equipping God's people, and engaging God's world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We are forever grateful for the cross. So, Father, may we be cross-eyed as we look at the coming year. Father, as a church, keep us on task. Father, remind us what we're about. We're about the ministry of Jesus, a ministry that reaches out to desperate people in our community and, Father, desperate people in our world. You've given us great hope. You've given us strength for today and hope for tomorrow by giving us a revelation of Jesus Christ. You've allowed us to know him. So, Father, use us that others will know him as well. Father, is anybody here that doesn't know him today? Lord, draw them to your love shown at the cross today, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.